everybody. We are here with our very first Myth and Monsters episode. I'm so excited for these. Me too. Uh, I am Sherry Ellison. I'm Taylor Ellison. And we are here with the podcast Eat, Drink, Write, and Urban Fantasy Whiteboard. I am so excited to jump into these um, monster and, and myth ones. I, and we're going to do them on the last day of every month, so be sure to tune in on the last day of every month. Yeah, so happy leap day. That's right. Happy leap day year. Happy leap year day. Oh, yeah? <laughs> um, maybe we should say what we're drinking. <laughs> I'm drinking, uh, we're, well, we're back at our favorite coffee shop um, in town, so I'm drinking uh, the rooibos tea um, that I had. And I am drinking uh, peppermint tea. It's amazing. And I brought my monk fruit with me from home so that I could have a little bit of sweetness to it. Um, so, and it's still keto. Um, so I have no excuse for how I was just talking. Um, and then you're eating something. I'm eating a ham and cheese bagel. Oh, yeah. And I am not eating anything. I'm not hungry right now. How was your week? Uh, it was good. It was a little stressful. I'm starting to feel that crunch time before the conference because that's coming up really, really soon. And I'm trying to get this book done and rewritten. I don't know that it's going to get rewritten, but we'll we'll see. I'm chugging along, so I made I made some decent progress. We're both pitching for this conference, Whoa! and uh, we chose two agents each mm -hmm. to pitch to. So that's exciting and a little nerve wracking. I'm a little bit nervous. A little bit. What else are we having done? Oh, ten page critiques. Yep. Query letter critiques. Yep. So we're real excited to go to this conference in Atlanta. It's the Writer's Digest Conference, and they have it in Atlanta every year. And we've gone, this will be our third year yeah. that we've gone to. So I'm real excited about going, but it is looming on the horizon. So we're both a little bit nerve-wracked. Yes. So um, I just want to remind everybody, leave us a review on iTunes, and we still have some merch left. It's got, we got spiral notebooks, magnetic calendars, sticky notes, so leave us a review on iTunes and then email us at eat, drink, write, an urban fantasy whiteboard, uh, no, eat, drink, eat, dot, drink, dot, write, dot, podcast at gmail.com. That would be an email address. Is there alcohol in that tea? <laughs> there is not. I really don't know what's wrong with me. And then we will uh, make sure you give us your address and we can send you your merchandise. So we're just going to jump in. And the way we're going to do this is each of us chose a, a monster or a myth and... We'll, we'll tell it, and um, this this episode, I think we both chose Monsters. Yeah. I chose the Banshee. And I chose the Wendigo. So I'll jump in first and um, tell you all about Banshee. Oh, yeah. So Banshee actually means fairy woman. You know, I feel like I should have known that, but I didn't. Yeah. Well, she is fairy. Yeah. And Bean is... Oh, that's fair. Yeah. So Banshee, it traces really far back. So uh, some say you can't even tell where it came from, but it basically goes back to Ireland. Gotcha, yeah. So it's an old Irish legend, and a Banshee's wail or keening is said to be an omen of death, a warning that a loved one is going to die soon. The Banshee herself doesn't bring the death, she just warns about it. Right. But everybody's still terrified of her. She's frightening. Well, yeah. Frightening to see, even though she isn't an instant yeah, uh, but she is still like a death omen. That's so. true. So, yeah. She appears in many different forms, they say. Uh, common forms are a beautiful woman wearing a cloak or a shroud, a pale woman with long silver hair in a white or silver dress, an old hag dressed in rags with dirty gray hair, long fingernails, and rotted teeth, Gross. a woman with long red hair in a white dress, 
an old woman with a veil covering her face dressed all in black with long gray hair, a headless woman, this one's very odd, a headless woman naked from the waist up holding a bowl of blood. No, thank you. <laughs> Most descriptions have her with red eyes, which could be from the crying and the wailing that mm. she's doing. Good point. So what she does is she keens to warn of a coming death. And this can go on for days. Sometimes the people that have supposedly heard. Oh my God, she's like that, like an annoying rooster, but forever. <laughs> yep, this can go on for days ahead of time. Um, some legends say that only the person who is to die can hear it. Yeah. And others say that anybody who is a relative of the loved one oh, okay. can hear it. Man, how obnoxious. Mm-hmm. I mean, awful, but like obnoxious. In the past, it was said she only keened for certain old Irish families. O'Grady, O'Neill, O'Brien, O'Connor, and Kavanaugh. But some say that you can replace the O in front of those names with the Mc. So it's like McGrady, McNeil, McBrien, McConnor. Well, and Kavanaugh doesn't have an O in front of it. No, yeah. We know some Kavanaugh's. We do. It's scary. And then now, as as this legend has gone on for years and years and years, some say that anybody who is knows someone who's facing death can hear the banshee. So some legends say that she is a ghost of a young girl that suffered a brutal death and comes forward when a violent death is going to happen. That legend isn't necessarily accurate because there have been people that um, have heard her that it hasn't been a violent death, it's just been a death. Just dying. Yeah. Yeah, so it's hard to say. Some say that she is a fairy who is appointed to a specific family yeah. to warn of death throughout time for oh, that family. Okay. Yeah. One, doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> yeah, well, one, one scientific theory about where this legend might have come from yeah. based in science is that it could have originated from the cry of a barn owl. Mm. Because in ancient battles, the armies would march at dawn yeah. and their movements would startle our, uh, owls as they were um, settling down to sleep. And so the birds would then screech and fly away as the army approached, and their cry would alert the opposing army. And so the opposing army was then ready, and then there would be huge amounts of deaths. That's so interesting. In these battles, and so that owl's screeching cry came to be seen as a sign of death, and, yeah. and that that may be where the legend came from—that these men that were marching towards battle in the early dawn hours, yeah. hearing this wailing, screeching, and then a whole bunch of death happened. Yeah. So, huh. mm-hmm. so I was trying to find some personal accounts yeah. because they're so interesting. And I found one on creepypasta.com. It was an account of a 17-year-old boy. And he said he was outside playing hide-and-seek with his little sister in Ireland. This mm-hmm. is an Ireland story. And he saw this floating, floating black bag out of the corner of his eye, but he really didn't pay much attention to it. And they were playing, and he said, then he started hearing this sort of wailing sound, like the whistle of a kettle boiling. Yeah. And then the bag floated closer, and he, that was when he turned to look at it and see what it was, and he realized it wasn't a bag. It's not a bag. It looked like a black robe that was tattered and torn. Wow. And he said it stopped several yards from him and let out a piercing scream. Like the... Lock? Like the bag? Yeah, the... whatever this bagged lock So it didn't, was. like there wasn't a head or whatever? He, not that he could see at this point. He, it was okay. just this black blobby yeah. floating thing. And as he, as it got closer, he could see it was a hooded entity inside oh, the robes. Okay. okay. Um, pale and hollow. Gross. 
He ran back into the house and into the kitchen, and his sister had run ahead of him and was standing in the kitchen in shock, and the aunt was dead on the floor. Oh, wow. She apparently had a heart attack. Oh, okay. So that, that was interesting. A lot of the personal accounts that I found were really old ones, like mm-hmm. from the 1600s, 1700s. So yeah. uh, that one was a little bit more modern than that, but I don't think it was too modern. Yeah. There's a famous story out there about an uncle who was walking home in the, on a cold and blustery night, and the storyteller said he was probably drunk. Oh. Five sheets to the wind is how they described it. Uh-huh. And that when he got home, he told his wife about uh, story t- the about the whoever's telling the story. It was one of the kids in the house. Yeah. The um, he was telling his that girl's grandmother, which I don't know if it was the uncle's sister or son I don't know all right so some family member and he told her that he was late because he stopped to comfort an old woman he said the old woman was dressed in black with a veil over her face and was crying and wailing outside the house every time he got close to her she moved away pointing at the house the grandmother realized that this had to have been a banshee the the oh yes that would be my first thought too well this was back in the day and the uncle was bound and determined he was going to go outside and bring this old lady in for tea because she was outside on this blustery night and didn't need to be out there. But the grandmother was like, don't do that. Yeah, I'll take care of it. And What's wrong him, with you? Sent him to bed. Yeah. And three days later, the grandmother's brother died in his sleep, which I don't know if that's the uncle. Right. But yeah. someone died in that family three yeah. days later. In that house. Wow. And then there was another one in 1776 where this group of uh, kids, I guess, was walking home at night from a friend's house, and as they passed down a long, dark lane, they suddenly heard in the distance a loud keening and clapping of hands. And apparently that's something that people used to do when lamenting the dead in that, mm-hmm. at that time frame. Mm-hmm. So they hurried on and uh, came in sight, of, in sight of a church and... Um, on the side wall of which was a little gray-haired old lady clad in a dark cloak running to and fro, chanting and wailing and throwing up her arms. So they were terrified, and they took off and ran home. And they got home, and they uh, told their mother about it. And the mother said that she was in fear for their father because as she was sitting out looking out the window, a huge raven with fiery eyes sat on the sill and tapped three times on the glass. That's not spooky at all. And then they told her their story, and so she was freaking out, and it turns out that the dad had died in Dublin on that night. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Man. And then there was a member of a Cork family of English descent, and... They say, my mother, when a young girl, was standing looking out of the window in their, at, in their house at Black Rock near Cork. She suddenly saw a white figure standing on a bridge, which was easily visible from the house. The figure waved her arms toward the house, and my mother heard the bitter wailing of the banshee. It lasted some seconds, and then the figure disappeared. Next morning, my grandfather was walking as usual into the city of Cork. He accidentally fell, hit his head against the curbstone, and never regained consciousness. Yikes. And then the most current one that I could find was in the 1940s. And it says, we have two spooky accounts of what seemed to be banshees or something very similar. The first happened along a dark cemetery road called 
Old Howard Street in the town of Fulton Place. It was here that an elderly man was suddenly bedridden with, by some mysterious debilitating disease, after which scores of squawking crows began to congregate around the home for reasons no one could fathom. One evening, when the man had visitors over to see him in what seemed to be his last hours, there was apparently a knocking at the door, and when one of the visitors opened the door, she saw an old hag-like woman with long white hair in a long white dress who was wringing her hands and sobbing, only to turn to come rushing at the house with an ear-splitting scream before vanishing into thin air. According to the story, the man died just a few hours later. Man. It said two two accounts, but I, I only, there was only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the banshees are really cool. They're, um, I was trying to think of banshees in modern literature or modern stories. And yeah. I remember in Teen Wolf, uh, Lydia was a banshee. Yeah. So I know that's one. I can't really think of any. There was, oh, Phoebe in Charmed got turned into oh, a banshee. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Oh, and then... Um, Ooh, what's that show called? Lost Girl. There was a banshee in that, too. Oh, neat. Yeah. So it so. has been used in urban fantasy. Yeah, definitely. And um, my, I went on to come up with some thoughts on how to use a banshee in urban fantasy. So you could make your main character a banshee. So how would she deal with having to warn of death without being able to stop it? That, yeah. That would be horrifying. Yeah. What if being a banshee is a curse, and in order to break the curse, you do have to stop the death that you're warning of? Oh, Yeah. But you can't talk or interact with the people. So how do you yeah, how stop do you do it? that then? Yeah. Or what if the banshee is a ghost or fairy that attaches herself to the main character, warning of death but unable to tell who is going to die, which would be very frustrating for our main character. Yeah. Or what if suddenly the banshee foretold something other than death? Oh. Or what if she's in a guild of banshees, your main character? where they all get assigned to go foretell deaths and she suddenly finds herself stuck to a character who doesn't die. <laughs> and she keeps getting sent to warn of his death, and he keeps averting the death. Interesting. So maybe this would lead to problems with death, him or herself. Yeah, I like that. So banshees, that's something that we can... Um, oops, knocked my uh, microphone. That's something that can be used in, in urban stories. Yeah, I, that's I so interesting. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. What have you got? So I've got the Wendigo, and I got a lot of my information from a few different websites, but mostly from Wikipedia because um, they had a lot of good information and a lot of what they had also came from those other sources that I found. So. Okay. It's a mythological man-eating creature or evil spirit from the folklore of Native Americans, uh, specifically, Al I don't know how to say it, A-L-G-O-N-Q-U-I-A-N. Uh, I have no idea. And did you say man-eating? Yes. Ooh. <laughs> Gross. Sure did. And so this is based mostly in the northern forests of like Nova Scotia, um, the east coast of Canada, the Great Lakes region of the United States, um, as well as uh, the, can the Canadian side. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so more up north, to, like colder areas. But, but close to here. I mean, here, United States, here. -ish. I don't know. It's so hot in Georgia. I think we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> we're fine. Yeah. Um, so the Wendigo is a part of a traditional belief system of the those Native American tribes, and uh, there are a bunch of different cultures within those tribes that also have legends about these Wendigos. Okay. Um, so the descriptions vary from story to story um, and from culture to culture and tribe to tribe, uh, but it's common among, among all of them that it is a malevolent, cannibalistic, supernatural being. Um, they're strongly associated with the winter, the north, coldness, famine, and starvation. So oh. all bad things. Yes. 
So one source, yeah. One source says that the Wendigo is created whenever a human resorts to cannibalism in order to survive. So um, one of the examples was uh, a hunter got lost in the woods uh, in the middle of the snow uh, with his group, and they resorted to cannibalism in order to live because they couldn't find yeah. any other food source. Oh, um, and they got stranded. So uh, that is one way to become a Wendigo. Um other versions of the legend cite that humans who have displayed extreme greed, gluttony, and excess might also be possessed by a Wendigo. And so this was kind of like a way to get people to kind of cooperate with each other mm -hmm. uh, and get along and not be greedy and not steal and all that Behave kind of stuff. Behave or you're going to become a Wendigo. Right. And don't eat people, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't, don't do that. Um, so I have a little bit more about descriptions from a few of the different cultures. Uh, some people describe them as having some characteristics of a human or of a spirit um, that has possessed a human, uh, being like making them become monstrous looking. Okay. This one says that they're gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin is pulled tightly over its bones, and its bones are pushing out over its skin. Its com its complexion is the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed are pushed back deep into their sockets. Uh, it looks like a gaunt skeleton, recently disinterred from the grave. Uh, what lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from separations of the flesh, um, and the Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition of death and corruption. Oh my God! So Sounds like a zombie to me. I know, right? Ooh. So that's one of the one of the descriptions that I had, and then another one says it was a large creature as tall as a tree, with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Oh my god. Uh, sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then that person became a Wendigo himself. Uh, hunting down those he once loved and feasting upon their flesh. Oh no. So gold star, Wendigos. Oh no. Yeah, so um, its influence is said to invoke acts of murder, insatiable greed, cannibalism, and the cultural taboos against such behaviors. Wow. So basically, I guess, like, being near it makes you want to eat human flesh. Gross. Sounds great. Uh-huh. <laughs> Unlike other terrifying carnivores, the Wendigo doesn't rely on pursuing his prey in order to capture and eat it. Uh, rather, they have the ability to mimic human voices. Oh, no. So they could, like, sound like people that you know. Oh, that's terrible. They'd be like, I'm walking through the woods, and Mom, it's great and candy. Yes, exactly. Oh, no. So, spooky. So you're, like, thinking that you're walking towards someone you know, like your friend or something, yeah. and then you get eaten. Oh. Or you become a Wendigo and oh, eat gosh. your friends instead. Um, so, yeah, that I thought was probably my favorite part of this. <laughs> <laughs> Those tribes say that during the turn of the 20th century, a large number of their people went missing mysteriously. Uh, they attributed the, many of the disappearances to the Wendigo, and so the Wendigo earned the title of Spirit of Lonely Places, which I thought was really interesting. That is interesting. Because I never, like, when I think of Wendigo, I always, you know, cannibals and, yeah. um, like, monsters and, like, terrifying blah, 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 but Spirit of Lonely Places just makes it sound, I don't know, almost passive, Yeah. which was interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, like, it's not, like, a grr scary name. It's yeah. just, you know, it's yeah. Spirit of Lonely Places. Wow. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Uh, another rough translation of Wendigo is the evil spirit that devours mankind, which I think makes sense with the whole cannibalism yeah, thing. Yeah, I agree. And then um, this translation is related to another version of the Wendigo that claims he has the power to curse humans by possessing them. Once he has infiltrated their minds, he can turn them into Wendigos as well, 
instilling upon them the same lust for human flesh that he himself has. So, Wendigos are great, great beings. (laughs) Um, The creature also lends its name to a modern medical term, which I have never heard before, called uh, Wendigo psychosis, which is described by psychiatrists as being as a culture-bound syndrome with symptoms such as an intense craving for human flesh and the fear of becoming a cannibal. So apparently that's oh my a thing. God. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Never. Oh, did that. Yeah. So that's all I have on the Wendigos. Um, I do have a few references that I saw in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's like the first episode of Supernatural, if not like just the second or third, where they have to fight a Wendigo, and it, it is like this big, scary, like emaciated, yeah. gaunt-looking thing. And they pronounced it Wendigo. Oh, they did. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I don't know which way is I right, but... I prefer Wendigo. Yeah. That's how I've always pronounced it. Yeah. And then in Charmed, Piper got turned into yeah, a Wendigo. I remember that one. There's a video game called Until Dawn. It's like a PS4-specific game, and it has Wendigos in it, and they're wow. creepy. They are so creepy. I definitely got all my characters killed. There is a Wendigo in Teen Wolf and uh, Grimm. Um, and then in the movie Hannibal, or yeah, in the movie Hannibal, the FBI agent has dreams and visions of a Wendigo, and that's oh, like symbolic of the... The cannibalism yeah, of... Uh, of Hannibal Lecter, yeah. Hannibal Lecter, yeah. And then apparently there are Wendigos in Marvel comics, which I, don't I haven't that. I haven't read them. But apparently he, they faced um, it was the Incredible Hulk and Wolverine faced Wendigos. Huh. So I have a Wendigo in my second book of freaking fairies. Oh, do you? I do. You have. I don't remember read, that. Yeah. You haven't read any of that one yet. No. So there is one in wow. that book. All right. Cool. Um, what I had heard about uh, Wendigos is that. And it may be from that Charmed episode. Mm-hmm. That may be where I got this from. Yeah. That if you're scratched by one, you're infected. There was, yeah, that was a thing in the Charmed one. But I think most of the references that I found said it was um, either a possession or uh, that kind of thing in order to become one. So, like, the Wendigo possesses a human and, like, makes them want to eat flesh, too. Yeah. So they turn into one. Yeah. That's- that's terrible. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that there's a real-life psychosis where people want to eat other people. Oh, I know. It's hor- I mean, I mean, I guess think about Hannibal Lecter. Like, well, yeah, and didn't Dahmer eat yeah, people? Yeah, and yeah. So, I mean, it's a thing, and I, I guess I just never thought about, like, what that would be called other than cannibalism. Yeah. But apparently, Wendigo, Wendigo psychosis is a, a term. That is so creepy. Yeah, How which cool it says is that? it says it's a controversial modern medical term. So like I'm sure it's not widely accepted as like an actual diagnosis, but I thought it was interesting. So using a Wendigo in urban fantasy, mm. you could you could do it where you make your main character the Wendigo who's trying to stop. True. Or it could be someone the main character knows who is becoming possessed by one true or your main character gets stranded in a forest up near canada mm-hmm. or in canada and they come across wendigos oh interesting mm-hmm. lots of ideas for that yeah so i thought i thought that was pretty neat well neat yeah that was our very first episode of myths and monsters so we are excited that you were here to listen to that we'll have one of those at the end of every month yep Thank you for listening. We want to remind you to, to support us at our Patreon. 
patreon.com slash edw podcast come check us out on all our social media comment on facebook post on facebook email us let us know if you like that what what myths and monsters you want us to cover any other writing topics that you want us to cover as relates to fantasy urban fantasy yeah, fiction, that kind of thing so we will see you next time thanks guys <laughs>